This podcast was created by the JCT Technologies team as part of its hands-on podcast series, which is available on the Junior Cycle Talks podcast channel. You're now listening to part two of a conversation with Paul Leamy, who is head of department in GMIT Letterfrack. In the first part of our conversation, Paul introduced himself, gave a background to the development of the college over recent years, and also talked about the importance of developing hand skills with students in the college that have transcended the test of time. If you haven't already listened to part one, we would advise to do so. Enjoy the rest of the conversation. Sustainability, Paul, um, a huge issue at the moment globally, and also in terms of the junior cycle wood technology specification does an entire element uh, devoted to sustainability in terms of the material of wood and wood science etc you might just give us some um insights from your own point of view as to the role that uh, people that are interested in making things out of out of wood can play and then uh, societal responsibilities as a whole when it comes to uh, the use of material, um, etc., and just that whole area of sustainability from your point of view? So I suppose um, responsibility, that, that's what it comes down to. So it's, it's um, the easiest thing in the world is to go and buy some timber for a project, make it and deliver it. You don't know if that timber has been sourced responsibly. Um, you know, if, if more timber has been planted in its place, if it's first stewardship council recognised or certified, um, so responsibility is the key thing and that, that's what we always try and, you know, just instill that passion for, you know, responsibility and sustainability um, within our students. Uh, we, you know, over the years, we're, we're constantly evolving here. Um, so one example here in the college is that we've recently, uh, in the last few years, built a, a timber processing mill. So that means we can take in timber in the round, so logs, you know, that trees that come down. Uh, we can process them into planks, so we have a mill where we can cut them up into usable planks. Uh, we air dry them for a while, and then we also have a kiln where we kiln dry the timber, and uh, that's to, to reduce the moisture content, because if we don't reduce the moisture content, it will, you know, move and crack and everything. So, um, Word has got out around the country that we can do that and we have had uh, timber donated to us from all over the country and, and you know, some really prestigious timber. And when, when we're teaching the students about timber, you know, it, we try and uh, as much as possible get them involved in the story of where the timber comes from. So we, we've had timber come from places as prestigious as Oris and Uchtheron, um, Adair Manor, Boris House and Carlo. Um, Kylemore Abbey just over the road and, and numerous other places and you know even if we were to take um, an example of a good few years ago before we had the ability to process our own timber we used to buy in our, our hardwoods so our oaks and walnuts cherries maples and everything so all beautiful timber um, but commercially that was you know they, they were grown in North America so if we take the life cycle of one of those pieces of timber one of those planks, you know, the tree grows, you know, spends, depending on what it is, if it's an oak tree, 100 years growing, then it's it's sawn down, it's brought in, 
brought to a mill, uh, converted into timber, let air dry for a while, then it's kiln dried, then it's trucked to, you know, a container. Um, the container is put on a big, um, not so eco-friendly ship and, and, you know, transported across the Atlantic to Dublin and then a, a big truck transports it down to Letterfrag. So if you think of the carbon footprint of that piece of timber, it is really quite extreme. So um, linking back to responsibility, um, if, if you aren't aware of, you know, ways that you can kind of, you know, check, check on where a timber, timber piece of timber has been, there would be an assumption because it's timber that it is sustainable, that it is environmentally friendly. But if you take the example of that plank of timber, it has, you know, consumed a huge amount of diesel and, you know, kind of fuel and everything in just getting here. And that's before we process it, turn it into furniture and deliver it to a client. So in comparison, if you take a tree that has come down in Kalmarabi, which is five miles over the road, uh, we transport it over here to the college and we convert it on our sawmill. We kill and dry it. We bring it upstairs and we um, turn it into beautiful furniture. So the carbon footprint of that piece of timber is minuscule in comparison. So um, that, 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 you know, as much as possible, we, we try and always ensure that any timber that we're using and any materials in general, um, that, that we're, we're very conscious uh, that we try and source it as sustainably as we possibly can. And another key benefit of that is that if you have, um, if you have knowledge of where that tree came from, uh, you tend to be a lot more passionate about where it is. You take more responsibility on making sure that it's utilized as best as possible. But also what we found is that when, when you make something from it, that the client is involved in the story as well. So instead of saying, this is a beautiful table from Oak, if you can say this is a beautiful table and the timber came from, you know, um, Kylemore Abbey or it came from a forest here or it was storm felled and it came down, uh, you know, at, at a certain point, um, that, that people's appreciation for the piece that you've made uh, tends to be much more elevated and they tend to be much more, um, you know, linked and connected to the project. And just to continue on that discussion, Paul, um, when we were looking at some of the pieces uh, down in the lower car park this morning, that were yet to be processed, there were pieces maybe that were storm felled, etc., from various locations, as you've mentioned. Uh, you know, a lot of those pieces may have kind of a wany grain in them, or they mightn't be um, commercially viable for an industrial sawmill to process. But there's a huge um, opportunity there for the creative use of those pieces in the design and manufacture of bespoke pieces of furniture. So perhaps you might just uh, speak to that and the possibilities that come from working with those salvaged materials, for want of another phrase. So commercial sawmills, they're really only interested in really large, long, straight logs because that suits commercial processing. Uh, so that quite often means that, you know, you could have a part of a tree that has a branch growing and it has a curve on it, or it might have a fork where two branches are coming out. So that, that they generally on a commercial scale would be discarded. Um, but, but we see magic there because quite often when you take a piece of timber like that and you cut it open, you're exposing a grain color, a grain pattern, a structure that might be crotch grain or bars or anything like that. So we're quite fortunate that we can take the time to take those logs and, you know, process them into, into planks of timber that we can then go on to use. And, you know, it's, um, I suppose, especially in Ireland, hardwoods, um, and we're trying as much as we can to, to, to I suppose, 
you know, upskill and educate people as much as possible. Hardwoods are generally seen as firewood. Uh, you know, so much ash and all that comes down every year and beach and, you know, the, the, it's, it's the lowest form of return for, you know, a farmer or anyone who has trees like that to send it out as firewood. And we've got some very interesting research projects going on with a student who's just finishing mass, his master's on um, looking at ways to utilize small diameter logs. So the likes of alder, um, which is grown a lot in forestries. And, you know, then when the first stage thinnings happen, a lot of it is going to firewood. So he, he, he was looking at ways of adding value to that. And, and that's a really important part of the process as well. So smaller timber, we, we can certainly do a lot with it. And quite often it tends to be the most special grain and color and structure and everything. And the skills that are being developed when, you're, when you have an ability to be creative and design something from concept in your head to a realized piece and then obviously the hand skills and the technical skills to process it and make it to such a high quality what aspects of those skill sets are transferable into other areas or, or how are you finding um, perhaps maybe graduates when they leave the college uh, what types of areas of work are they going into that people mightn't traditionally associate with uh, a furniture college yeah so what we find is our students tend to come to Letterfrack and most of them have a common passion and that is uh, wanting to work with wood, wanting to create and make. And, you know, a lot of them would have aspirations of setting up their own business, whether it's fine furniture or kitchen and bedroom manufacturing, maybe doors, windows, stairs, you know, the, 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 the common theme is that they have a passion for working with wood. What we find is that once the students start going through the years here in the college and then um, by the design of the programs, they get exposed to so many different other parts of the industry that when they leave um, the, the programs here in Letterfract that um, they have so many other doors opened up to them. So an example would be about, you know, just over a third of our graduates from last year are actually um, em employed as um, doing CAD and engineering drawings and you know it's a really um, skilled area uh, high in demand and uh, you know it's, it's very different environment to working in a workshop now if you say that to most first years that that you know there's a chance that they could have a job opportunity in that they'd say um, I don't think that'd be for me but then when they get to fourth year they just see opportunities and I suppose their skill set in those areas has been expanded so you know that that that's uh, I suppose not not that it's not a surprise to us but it tends to be a surprise to the students that and there's so many different areas you know we have graduates um, a lot of the skills you get here would be what we call transferable skills so while the core is wood, um, you know, there's still opportunities in many other industries. So we, we have students who end up working in sales, who work in, uh, you know, in finishes, in, in, in metals, and, you know, start, some go into upholstery and different things. So there's lots and lots of different aspects of the industry that get opened up to you just by um, having, a, a, you know, a base knowledge in, in, in the skills here. And I suppose I'm here, Paul, on the backdrop of obviously the junior cycle reform and uh, within that the suite of technology subjects applied technology engineering graphics and wood technology um, in majority of schools across the country those are optional subjects so uh, students elect to study those subjects for their junior cycle 
you mentioned yourself, um, you know, all those years ago that you had studied many of those types of subjects for your leaving certificate. So what I'm asking you is from your point of view and having seen everything that you see in your everyday work here in the college and your collaboration maybe with partners um, and with employers, what would you see as the advantages to um, maybe a 12, 13 year old student uh, just thinking about what subjects they might pick and if they were uh, leaning towards some of the technology subjects that I've just mentioned, what kind of benefits would you see uh, from a student picking those subjects to study for their junior cycle? I suppose what, what we've found is, um, and it's something that strikes me, it was my own um, tech graph teacher from secondary school when he heard that uh, I was coming to Letterfrack, he said, you will never be out of work for a day in your life. And so far he has been right. Now, obviously I can't predict that for everyone into the future. Um, but at the moment, um, for the last good few years, we have 100% employment. So we have more students or more companies looking for our graduates than uh, we have spaces available. So that's a really good thing. So um, one thing is that you, you there, there's in one sense a certainty in that there is so many different areas that you can work in. Um, and so the advice that I would give is that, you know, to, to be determined um, that, you know, if you know you have kind of a passion or that there's areas that you'd like to work in um, to be determined and, and focus and apply yourself. And, you know, you, you, by default, you'll, you'll, you'll make the magic happen. And, um, you know, so there, there's, there are lots of opportunities. And, you know, if I uh, think of students who come here, uh, you know, I kind of touched on it earlier, students who come here in first year, uh, they have, uh, you know, a preconceived idea of what they think they will be doing, you know, in four or five years time. And just by being here and being educated with the so many more opportunities in the industry, uh, they tend to end up working in, in a different area than they originally planned. But that's something that they're very happy to do because they just had other opportunities opened up to them. So, um, you know, I, I'd say the advice would be to uh, keep an open mind, um, you know, that, that lots of opportunities will present your, to be presented to yourself as you go through your educational journey. And, uh, you know, you, you, you'll know the one that, um, that is right for you. So as I mentioned before, Paul, I'm, I'm a graduate of Letterfrack myself and I have many pieces at home that I made here and I'm immensely proud of them and uh, they were fantastic projects to develop my, my own skill set um, whatever, nine, ten years ago at this stage. But I noted that when we were just having a look earlier on at what the current students are working on, the projects are different. They've changed in that time period to what is happening now in the college to compare to when I was here. And I might just ask you to speak to that, um, that kind of topic of keeping projects on trend and keeping what the students are engaging with relevant. Um, if you might just speak to that point for a moment. So I suppose we're, in, in one sense, we're very lucky that the staff we have working in, in the area here, they're all very experienced designer makers. Uh, so they would be very conscious in not just repeating the same projects year in, year out. So uh, they are constantly evolving the type of designs that we'll say would be used, especially in first year, because the students, a lot of the time, the projects in first year until they get to the end of first year will be given to them as drones. And then as, as they progress through, they'd be much more involved in the design stage. So, you know, the, the, a lot of responsibility comes on the staff to continuously keep themselves and their thinking fresh and their skills. So that's how a lot of those come around. But the other thing is that 
you know, we, we would bring our students on a lot of um, industry tours. So we bring them to visit companies, bring them to trade shows and things. And by doing that, you get exposed to new thinking in the industry, to new trends, to new colors, new materials. So say if we go back 15 years ago, um, there was very little furniture being spray painted. Um, whereas now it's very on vogue to have painted furniture and painted interiors such as, you know, your, your, your kitchens and bedrooms and things like that. So trends are constantly evolving. We also have very close links with a lot of the material suppliers. So, um, and even last year, as an example, we, we had a company, um, a very large company who supply a lot of sheet material um, with very specialist finishes on it. So they came down and presented to the students on their um, trend predictions for 22-23. So by doing that, we're, we're, we're being exposed to the industry thinking on what's coming ahead. And, and that can be often to do with colours and finishes and everything. So, you know, if, if you were to say, you know, 10 years ago that, you know, greys and yellows were going to be the most on-trend colours, um, pe people might be thinking that you're, you're, you're not too well, whereas at the moment that they are everywhere. And in five years time, that'll be a different colour or a different finish or a different grain pattern or whatever. So, you know, there's a huge um, responsibility on, on us as staff to keep up to trend with um, what's happening in the industry and by default then passing that on to our students. Paul, a large um, majority of the people listening to this recording may well be teachers themselves. And um, when it comes to the junior cycle suite of technology subjects, uh, there's a common thread that runs throughout the rationale for, them, for all four of them, and that is the technology classroom environment and the benefits of working collaboratively to be creative and innovative. So um, would you have any advice for teachers in terms of creating that type of mindset or that type of environment within the classroom uh, when it comes to exploring project work, etc.? So it's actually, uh, you know, a lot of the feedback we get from employers is that, uh, you know, problem solving is, is one of the key areas and collaboration and things like that. So. Um, you know, the advice I, I'd give would be to have a very open mind on, on how, you know, assessments and projects are developed. So we, we'd have a lot of our projects which would collaborate across different subjects or different modules. So we'll say, you know, you, you could have a project where it's being designed in one module. They have to collaborate with, you know, a, a, another lecturer in another module to do up the, the working drawings. They have to collaborate with the, the making module leaders on, on how it's going to be made perhaps do some analysis and material testing and things like that in another module. So by, by collaborating like that, you're actually um, learning by doing. So it's almost that people don't realize they're learning these skills, but by, by design of the project, they are. And um, it's, it, it tends to work really, really well. So just, just you know, a kind of a, a collaborative nature and an open mind. And again, you know, that, that takes but by just having a little bit of work and conversation between, um, I suppose, module leaders, by, by default, you end up with a really, really strong outcome. And it tends to really, really enhance the, the, the learning uh, nature, you know, and, and um, we, we run other projects then where students are actually put into groups. So we might have a project where three students or four students are given a group project. 
And, you know, that that can present lots of challenges, but equally it helps in problem solving and delegation and, and collaboration and everything. So, you know, by, by, by design, you could actually open up a lot of really, really opportunities for creative solutions for uh, different types of projects. And, you know, we've found that experience tends to be very rich for the students uh, as well as the staff running the projects as well. Paul, I think that's a really nice note uh, to finish up our conversation. And um, just on behalf of myself, and the team, I want to thank you for uh, taking the time to partake in this recording and also the consideration that you've put into the answers as well. Really enjoyable conversation. Thank you. Thank you very much. It was a pleasure. Thank you for listening to this hands-on podcast, which was created by the JCT Technologies team. To hear more from the hands-on series of podcasts, Search for us on SoundCloud or anywhere you listen to your podcasts.